0: Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from June 19th by Brother Jimmy Stewart, titled Ephesians 6, verse 1-4. Thank you for allowing me to come and be here. And Ephesians chapter 6 talks about the roles, the important roles of parents, especially fathers, to their children. And if you'll look with me, I want to look at this passage, Um, and it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers and mothers are so important that if their children obey the promises here is for children to have not only a long life, but that it may go well with them. Parents, you are incredibly important to your children. And my wife and I, and I, I'm very fortunate to have married way beyond myself, and a woman who absolutely understood, not only understood, but played that role, did that role of mothering and parenting in an incredible way, an incredible way, not only just taking care of them, but pouring into them. We see across our country, in fact, there was a news article today about the fact that many children live in a home without a father. And the results of that, the uh, Fatherhood.org, which is a National Fatherhood Initiative, is a non-sectarian, nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. They came out with some stats a few years ago. And they said, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 24 million children, one out of three, one out of three, live without their biological father in the home. That ought to scare every one of us. Because here's the consequence of that. If you are not present fathers in the home, Here are some things that can happen. In the converse, if you are present, here are some things that are likely to happen that are tremendous. It says, now what they came out to understand is statistically that if a father was not present, that the children were four times greater to live in a risk of poverty. But if a father was present, they were more likely to live above poverty. If a father was present or was not present, there was a seven times greater risk for a, a young teenage girl to become pregnant as a teenager. But if a father was pregnant, I'm, no, if a father was present, not pregnant, sorry. Let's get that right, okay. If a father was a present, they were more likely to have children in marriage and out of their teenage years. They're more likely to have behavioral problems if the father is not present, more likely to face abuse and neglect. They were two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, and two times more likely to drop out of high school. And you can say with positivity that if the father was present, all those things were not likely to happen. They were more likely not to happen. Today, there was an article uh, that came out and it was some uh, leaders talking about this very issue and it said this, fatherless daughters who marry have a 92% higher divorce rate and fatherless sons are 38% more likely to experience marital failure. Fatherless daughters or 50% 3% more likely to marry as teenagers, fatherless daughters, or 111% more likely to have children as teenagers, and they are 164% more likely to have out-of-wedlock birth. 80% of all sitting in prison today grew up in fatherless homes. Fathers, you're important, and I want to speak to you this morning about this. Uh, there was a Huffington Post article. Now, I'm not taking this as Bible, okay? <laughs> but it is definitely interesting that an article comes out from a secular and probably very biased uh, group that would say things like this. Listen to what they said. Your child's primary relationship with his or her father can affect all of your child's relationships from birth to death, including those with friends, lovers, and spouses, Those early patterns of interaction with father are the very patterns that will be projected forward into all relationships forevermore. Not only your child's intrinsic idea of who he or she is as he or she relates to others, but also the range of what your child considers acceptable and loving. Girls look for men who hold the patterns of good old dad, for after all, they know how to do that. Boys, on the other hand, will model themselves after their fathers. They will look for their father's approval in everything they do and copy those behaviors as they recognize as both successful, successful, and familiar. Fathers and mothers, have you considered your importance in the home? This is what Paul is talking about here as he says to the fathers, do not exasperate your children instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's the NIV the HCSB or what we normally love to refer to as the hardcore southern baptist says the same thing and the King James says it this way, fathers Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I want us to look at a few th- phrases here and concentrate on that and think about this. I have a good friend who's uh, been a leader in, the, um, in Georgia, Georgia Baptist Convention, and very bright, intelligent guy, wrote a book. And his book was entitled about why they stay. He did a lot of research trying to figure out why children who grew up in the church or children who went to church in their younger ages, why they left the church and never came back, or why why they stayed in church. And he had a lot of research, his name was Steve Parr, and I'd encourage you to look at that. Book, uh, look that up. Maybe get that book and look at some of his assumptions. I'm not going to go over all those, but some of the things that he discovered as he researched and found out why children ended up staying and gravitating and being a part of of their spiritual lives. Now, let me just say this: as a graduate from University of Georgia, Go Dogs, number one in the nation. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. Amen. Woof. Woof. Okay. But as a graduate, um, I found myself in a position that God was calling me into ministry. I was a risk management major. God called me to go to West, young man. And I went to California, spent nine years there, got my Master of Divinity from Golden Gate, now called Gateway Seminary. And um, tremendous building in my life. Wonderful time. I was a single guy. And uh, that is not the best option when you're a single guy going to seminary and asking anybody out on a date. Yeah, somebody of you catch that. Some of you understand that, okay? Yes, uh, the, the women, uh, you ask them out on a date, and they know what they're signing up for. Okay, anyway, I was going into the ministry. And one of my biggest fears, in fact, my, my wife, as we dated, she said, I do not want to be a minister's spouse. Because I've been around too many children who've grown up in families where their, their parents were uh, in the ministry and look at how they turned out. So I had a goal in life at that point was to introduce her to all my friends who turned out great. And they do, They were raised, you know, in, in a uh, Christian home and raised in a, uh, a pastor's home. And we'd go out, and I'd say, what would you think of so-and-so? And, and she'd go, man, they were fantastic. And I'd say, minister's kids, preacher's kids, PKs. So anyway, God got her over that fear. And ultimately, God, uh, she said yes. And we've been married going on 36 years this year. Three kids, lost two through, um, um, miscarriages. And so we're good at five. And, uh, but the greatest joy, the greatest blessing has been raising those kids and being not only a father, but Best friend and mentor and coach to them, and just loving on them and seeing them just grow and uh, it's wonderful. And all three of my kids praise the Lord. Or all two of them are involved in ministry, and one of them's here in Anchorage. uh, That's very involved in his church, and so very, very glad to see that. And the word here is to bring them up. Now, I was very fearful as a minister that I'd have PKs. Okay. and they may not turn out that way, and I am blessed. And I'm going to share with you just a few things today just to say maybe we did a few things right, some things that helped us to raise them so that we did not exasperate. We did not make them angry, and this is what it says to do, is to bring them up. Now, this is I'm going to get Greek on you here. Geeky Greek, okay? This is a present active imperative verb in Greek. Do you know what that means? Okay, I, I studied that a long time ago. And this is what they say about what that means, okay? This is a command. Just like do not exasperate, the command is bring them up. That's a command too. Do not make them mad. But it says also, bring them up. This is command to fathers. And basically, the word ek and, and trefo, or well, these two words come together. It literally means to feed. In the sense of training, we feed our kids the thing that nourishes their souls. And what is that? The word. And I'm going to say this before... I say anything else. We brought our kids up. My wife was very faithful. We homeschooled. They they never went to a private school. I mean, to a public school. They always were homeschooled, and they ended up uh, doing great. All those things that people say about homeschooling. I'm not going to debate that or anything like that. But you know, it, it was a wonderful experience for us. But it gave us that opportunity to pour into their lives and to mold them according to. Character. We discipline not for, um, not for uh, punishment of what they did wrong, but we discipline for character. You violated a character issue, and we wanted them to understand about character, how important that was, because character would drive their actions and the things that they did. And, and I'll say this too: I wanted my children in our home. I wanted to bring them up in a home. Because I was brought up in a home, listen. I I'm, I love my mom and dad. Lost them in the last few years, and uh, they're they're no longer here. And never was want to ever say anything disparaging, but growing up in the South, you you raise up in a home that understands that you go to church. It's that culture, and it wasn't so much about they were driven by the relationship with the Lord. It was about the do's and don'ts. And as a young person, I did everything you were supposed to do. But when I got into my teenage years, I didn't want to do it anymore. And I departed and got far away from God. But praise the Lord, through some experiences, I came back and I surrendered my life to the Lord. Even though I had been baptized as a 10-year-old, I knew I wasn't a Christian. So... I came to know the Lord a month before my 17th birthday. It's very vivid in my mind. It's very real to me. Even today, that experience. I wanted my children to experience God in the home. I wanted them to feel the presence of God. I wanted to feed their, their souls, not only with the Word of God, but the living presence of God in that home. They would not mistake that that home was a place where God was. I wanted them to experience God in church and other activities, camps. I know that Jeremy just got back from camp. He's a tired boy. (laughs) But I wanted them to experience those things and understand the power and the might of God. Some of you may or may not know me. And you may have never seen me before. I used to not look this good. <laughs> Took a fire six years ago and an explosion at our cabin in Talkeetna and, and God. And I'm st- still standing before you. We saw the presence and the power of God in the times of healing, the times of strength. My kids and my wife made our ICU room in Harborview down in Seattle a sanctuary, and people would walk in, nurses and doctors and uh, CNAs and all these people would walk in, and they would say to my wife, I was pretty out of it. I was unconscious in ICU, but they would say to her, there's a spirit in here, there's a presence in here. And my wife was quick to pour it out as they looked at cards that people had sent us. We received over 900 cards and letters. And thank you for every one of you. Had someone, somebody, sweet little precious person walk up to me and say, we want you to know we pray for you. And we pray for you every day. And I, I can't tell you, I cannot go anywhere in the United States without people saying that to me. And it's what a blessing. I was just in L.A. I walked down through the uh, the halls of the SBC annual meeting and people stopped me. You are the object of our prayers. What a blessing. We experienced the power of that prayer and I wanted my family to grow up understanding the power of God and then we were put in a situation where we saw the power and the presence and the prayers and it was incredible had an incredible impact on our family let me just say if you don't want to exasperate your children let me just give you a couple of things that we did and we learned and we tried to do we tried to be consistent with rules not changing them we tried to be an example like being on time when you want them to be where you be Love your wife. If you want them to love their siblings, love your wife. Follow God if you want them to. Not just rules, but with the heart. Here's one thing. Uh, My dad and I had this conversation when I was growing up. As I was going into the ministry, he said to me, Son, you're going to go into the ministry. You're going to be poor. And kids want things. And I remember saying to my dad, Dad, I think kids spell love. E-I-M-E. I don't think they really care about things. I don't care about anything that you give me. In fact, I don't want you to give me anything. When you die, I just don't want you to leave me in debt. Okay, amen? <laughs> so uh, what kids want is for us to be their friend. Now, there's a parenting role, but we raised our kids and we said to them, we, we didn't have kids as a goal in our life. We had kids because we wanted to raise them to be our best friends. My middle son, you know how you gravitate towards one a lot of times, and one that always wants to be with you and does everything with you. We were racquetball doubles partners, and we would go to tournaments and do all this stuff. He was my carbon copy, except he was a lot bigger. (laughs) I don't know how I didn't get those jeans, but he got them. He was bigger and better looking, and he is a cool kid. And uh, when he left to go to college, this man I mean, I was, I literally was depressed for six months. My best friend had left my life. And I, I love my kids, all of them. Here's another thing that we did to try not to exasperate them. This is not original with me. I got taught this. Never answer a question with an answer. We never help them. And I and I had to teach my wife to do this. Don't just give them an answer. Make them work through it. Here's the best thing about it. When you walk them through a process of discerning and, to, and, and figuring out what God wants them to do, and they come to that point and they realize... Wow, oh, th- this makes sense. I see why you're telling us to do that. You know, that takes a lot of time, and that's not the easy way. When, when they're young, we teach them, obey now. You don't understand why we tell you, stop. You're running out in the street. You, we're not going to have that, you know, time of uh, discussion with you. You just got to obey. But when they get to be teenagers and you take them through and you help them to flesh out, why does God's Word say this? Why do you think God wants you to do this? Tell me about this activity. I want to know what you're wanting to do. And you help them walk through that. A couple of magical things happen. One is when they rest on that godly decision and they make the right decision, they can never be mad at you for not getting to do what they wanted to do because they made the decision. Amen? Amen. We didn't really have teenage rebellion. It just didn't happen because, man, they made the decisions. And we led them down that narrow road of truth in God's Word. Here's the best thing that it led them to. And I love. I love getting those phone calls from my kids. And they say, Dad, tell me what you think about this. Now, that happens Today because I spent that time with them, and they want to hear my heart on it. Whew, I love, love being a father. Let me tell you, he says two other things here. Don't exasperate him. I could go on and talk about other things, but time's getting away. I could spend all day talking about this, but I know y'all want to go do father's activities. But he says raise them up in the training and instruction, and these are two different words. In the training is really about discipline, Teaching them, understanding the discipline. Now, there's discipline where you correct a child. You help them understand why they did something wrong. But there's also discipline that we talk about. The spiritual disciplines of learning to do the right things. Having the right formations in their life where they are practicing skills. Jeremy, you don't know it, but you blessed me just saying that you would get up every morning at camp early to get up to you, your showers and all that, but also you said your quiet time. These spiritual disciplines that we incorporate and our kids see us do, and they want to follow that, we teach them that, but also instruction. It's not about just do as I say, not as I do kind of activities. Steve, when writing his book, he said, He found an interesting fact that if parents did this, their children were more likely to stay in church. And here's the thing that he found out. That if, it's not about just instructing them, this is what you ought to do in life. But they saw their parents leading In church, that they took leadership in church. They were a part of, they just didn't attend church, but they took a part of church and took on roles of ministry in church. More than 50% are more likely to stay in church if mom and dad served. What is your view of the Word? If you don't read it, if they don't see you read and study, you teach the Word. You, if they don't, they may have a lower value of the importance of, war, of the Word, but they were 25 times more likely to have strayed if they have a low view of Scripture and 84% more likely to have stayed if they have a very high view of Scripture. But all of this evolves around the last three words of this passage. Bring them up in the discipline or the training and instruction, but it's all centered around of the Lord. This absolutely shows us the focus. It's about the Lord. Saddest comment I ever heard from a church goer, is that he said to me as a father, he says, well, my son is about to turn 21 and I have to take him out to the bar to teach him how to drink responsibly. Now, if he wasn't bigger than me, I'd have slapped him right upside the head. You know, I just in the name of Jesus in love, amen. Man, he's a big dude, he'd have pummeled me. Anyway, um, this is so wrong on so many levels for a father full of the heart of God to feel a need, to to, uh, to take a child. That was his trying to keep him off the wayward path. I just felt like he was failing his son by not being the example. Of course, I imagine that this man used alcohol. In college, I was in a fraternity, and I saw the destruction of alcohol in my brother's. I got tired of chasing guys down, taking keys from them. I got tired of taking their heads out of toilets. I got tired of just having to deal with the effects of alcohol. And I realized I wouldn't even show up at any of our events with a drink of Coke or anything in my hand because I wanted everybody to know I could enjoy life. I could have great fun in life. I could absolutely be as, as fun as everybody else and not ever have to drink. I didn't need to drink. I didn't like the way it tasted. Amen. That's nasty stuff. I don't care what you say, about it. but I didn't care about it. And when I went to the ministry and you know, it wasn't a big deal for me to ever sign off and say, you know, as a Southern Baptist missionary, I'd never drink because I could care less. My kids never saw alcohol in the home. Never did. I never worried about them ever going out and abusing drugs or anything like that. When people, people ask me, how in the world did you get off all the narcotics, oxycodone and fentanyl and all the kind of stuff I had to go through with, with a major burn like I had? I hate that feeling. It takes me away from the presence of God. It takes me out of the character and the nature of who God is. And I want my children to see a man Who lives for God, not for his own pleasure, not for his own decisions, not for his own life, but to live for God. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.